Listen as doctors Dan Hart from Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry in London and Wolfgang Miesbach from the University Hospital in Frankfurt discuss preparing treatment centers for the administration of gene therapy for hemophilia. This podcast is part of a comprehensive educational resource designed by leading experts for the global hemophilia community to help you stay abreast of the evolving science and latest clinical advancements in gene therapy and hemophilia. Visit www.genetherapy.ist.org for more information. So Wolfgang, thank you so much for joining this ISTH Gene Therapy podcast, Preparing Treatment Centers for Administration. It's part of a series of podcasts that we're doing to, to really understand the different steps to implement gene therapy, um, taking our lessons from gene therapy trials into uh, the clinic. Um, Given your expertise, both in clinical trial delivery and, and your lead for the um, EHAD Gene Therapy Working Group, how would you kind of evaluate the, the coming two or three years as to what we should all be expecting in terms of the timelines of potential changes of, of availability for gene therapy um, that we need to think about for our clinics? Yes. Um, thank you very much, first of all, Dan, for this kind uh, invitation. It's my pleasure to participate into this podcast series. First of all, I think um, we have to state that gene therapy of hemophilia is still in its early phases. So it's still an experimental method. And we have a couple of uh, phase um, one trials and some phase three trials now. And probably there would be the first approval of the first gene therapy product in hemophilia A and hemophilia B next year. Um, but it's still very early, and um, we uh, see that uh, phase three data may vary or differ from phase one uh, data, as uh, reported recently in one trial of um, gene therapy of hemophilia A. And uh, therefore, I think we have to very closely watch um, the efficacy data, but uh, mainly the safety data um, of gene therapy of hemophilia. And um, beside of this, it's also one of our main responsibilities uh, to work on some preconditions uh, that gene therapy of hemophilia can be delivered as safe and efficacy as it has been done within the clinical trials. And I suppose that sets us up very nicely then as to how we might think about structuring those really important conversations early with patients and who should be involved with those discussions. Um, because I suppose it, because it seems certainly for the AAV um, platforms, th there's only one chance to have the gene therapy um, and without a redosing opportunity. So, and, and I suppose choosing when the right time for an individual might be for, for them, the kind of counselling ahead of of any final decisions really important, isn't it? Um, who do you think are the main players there to, to really kind of, I mean, and, and how long does that conversation go on for with an individual in it's maybe your clinical trial um, experience? Yes, it's an, a very interesting question because um, the question being treated with gene therapy is uh, very important for the question. It cannot be reversed. And once gene therapy is done, um, the patient has to live with all the consequences, hopefully the benefit, but also some safety uh, problems can also occur. 
and as a necessity to being treated with prednisolone as well. We also have still some unknowns in the long term regarding safety. And um, this uh, whole issue has to be discussed uh, with the patient before gene therapy. It cannot be done uh, with only one uh, short conversation. So we have several um, possibilities to discuss gene therapy with our patients. The patient has a possibility to um, discuss benefits, but also safety issues with his family. And then they come back and we can uh, continue discussion. So um, I think the patient-informed consent being treated with gene therapy differs uh, from other treatments in hemophilia because it's a one-and-done treatment. It cannot be reversed. And the patient can benefit greatly, uh, but also some safety problems can occur short-term. We do not know in the long-term. And this has to be taken into account when the patient decides uh, being treated with gene therapy. And you were lead author on a really important manuscript from EHADS and the EHC describing a, a hub-and-spoke model recently, um, which I think really nicely lays out what you describe with kind of uh, the pre-dosing considerations and then shorter and longer-term consideration and, and the areas of uncertainty still. Could you just briefly, I suppose, it, d- describe the model, but, but I suppose in terms of the context of what you've just talked about, where a patient may need to move between centres and that confidence with particular treaters that they may have known for a long time, and how you might see that, you know, supporting patients moving between centres. Yes. Um, in this manuscript, uh, we try to describe uh, the challenges um, of gene therapy for hemophilia centers. This is a new treatment and there would be necessary a close cooperation between different centers. There are some centers who already have uh, had some experience, uh, but very small experience because there is no center in the world um, having treated 100 patients alone. So each of these centers only have very limited experience, but there might be some centers with this experience. And there are also some centers who did not have this experience so far, but treat patients who might be interested in being treated with gene therapy. And the aim of this paper was um, to describe the situation, also to define some criteria for the definition of gene therapy delivery center and to s- describe a model of cooperation between centers with a different experience in gene therapy and with this model to enable uh, that the patient could be treated with gene therapy independent of his localization, of the state of knowledge of the center. and um, But with this model, it should be achieved that gene therapy would be delivered as safe and as efficacy as it has been done in clinical trials as good as possible. And in, in a country like Germany, then, for example, how far do you think patients might need to travel between their spoken and hub center um, if they're not already um, being looked after at a hub? Yes, we do not know um, so far how many dosing centers we might have in Germany, um, but uh, definitely not 
every big center would offer gene therapy at least um, the first time after approval. So there might be only very few centers doing this. And um, this would lead to the effect, as you mentioned, that the patient has to travel between his home center to the dosing center, and this could be a couple of hundred kilometers. And it's quite reasonable uh, that the patient uh, would travel for the dosing of gene therapy, but um, the post-dosing period, the follow-up period, is much more important to my opinion. So there is a very strict follow-up period to measure factor 8 or factor 9 levels, uh, to measure liver enzymes and to detect as early as possible um, ALT elevation to initiate immunosuppressive treatment as soon as possible. And uh, this very um, close follow-up period um, should be done locally and uh, nearby the patient so that the patient has not to travel for this. I suppose we're qu quite lucky in a way that the monitoring uses relatively off-the-shelf assays, doesn't it? So liver function tests, clearly every hospital does. Um, uh, factor assays with the, the provisor of whether it's chromogenic or one stage, but um, or, or indeed both, depending on the laboratories. So I suppose the monitoring does lend itself to the spoke model taking on those kind of monitoring responsibilities. But do, do you think there are other assays that are more complicated? I was thinking, particularly in the, in the pre-dosing about... AAV serology, whether someone's eligible because of their pre-existing immunity to maybe AAV. And then vector shedding afterwards, there's obviously been a lot of monitoring the trials. Who do you think might be doing those assays? I mean, would it be the centres or, or do you think that might be an agreement with the manufacturer to be providing some degree of support for ensuring shedding is complete, for example? Yes. As you mentioned, Dan, um, the test against NDV antibodies is uh, very much important um, to include really only these patients who may benefit and respond uh, very well. And um, uh, now after approval of the treatment, it can be said not only once, but maybe two times or even three times, uh, this test has to be performed uh, maybe first uh, when the patient um, is willing to be included um, in the participation list and then maybe shortly before administration of the treatment. Now, uh, so far, um, we do not have um, uh, knowledge and experience doing this test on our own and probably in the future there should be an cooperation and agreement um, with the industry. Um, the other test you mentioned um, on shedding, uh, this has been studied extensively um, during the clinical trials. So um, at different time points, um, several body fluids has been tested on gene therapy particles. And I think um, we have to wait for the decision of the regulatory bodies of if these tests are still necessary after approval of the treatment. And then thinking longer term about what might be required in terms of that, the, 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 I suppose, surveillance longer term, how do you foresee kind of collecting longer term outcome data? What are the organizations coming together to, to make sure that there's collaboration to, to collect that data? Yes, this is also a very important question. And uh, there are some efforts now made 
by the WFH um, to enable a global multicentric registry on every patient who has been treated with gene therapy so far. Uh, so study patients can be included, but also it is intended, of course, to include patients after approval. Now, with this registry, um, uh, characteristics of the patients um, are included, characteristic of the gene therapy product, um, the way of administration, and um, of course, this registry is focused on all kinds of safety issues. So safety issues during administration of gene therapy treatment, since the ALT um, elevation shortly after administration, and then the registry is intended to follow the patient very long time, preferably lifelong to exclude um, any safety issue related to the gene therapy treatment. And, and I suppose in, in concluding, our, our real challenge is, is going to be keeping patients engaged with us as centres, particularly if gene therapy is successful enough to unburden patients of, of, of having abnormal clotting, which clearly has, we've had some chance of that, albeit not guaranteed in gene therapy. Um, for, for those that do get good results from gene therapy, asking them to stay engaged with us as centres, even though they, they may either have very mild haemophilia or, or maybe no haemophilia at all at that time point, um, that's going to be our challenge, I think, isn't it? Yes, it's really challenging, and I do not have the right answer for this. So um, if the patient does very well, so he tends to forget haemophilia, and he tends to forget his hemophilia treater, the hemophilia center, and uh, this is on the one way, so this is really fine to see the patient feeling free from hemophilia and uh, they're doing some sports they never have done before. Um, so they're doing well, they have more social contact and um, they develop a kind of happiness as they had not before. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, it really depends on his factor level. So it can be that the patient is not really in the normal range, but in the subnormal range. And um, in this situation, some bleeding may occur uh, after traum traumata or surgery, of course. And for this, it's very much important that the patient has still some factor concentrates at his own. And I think, uh, Dan, uh, it has to be discussed with the patient uh, even before gene therapy, uh, that um, also the patient has this expectation to lose his hemophilia after gene therapy treatment. The first months and the first year after treatment, the patient has to come more regularly to the hemophilia centers than before. And this is because to exclude uh, any problems or safety issues related to gene therapy. Even after the first year, it would be very much important to have a close contact to the patient to ensure that the patient has some factor concentrates at home in case his factor level are not really normalized and not to lose the contact to the patient because, you know, we do not know what will be in three, five or 10 years after gene therapy treatment. And um, my own um, experience is it's really a lot of fun to see the patient after gene therapy if they responded very well. So uh, it would be my intention uh, as well to, to have a very close contact to the patient. Yeah. And I think that encapsulates it really nicely, doesn't it? That there's huge potential. We're on that kind of 
cusp of of a paradigm shift uh, and we await those trials to complete and understand whether those molecules are able to be uh, approved you know we we all have been waiting now and patients have been waiting for a long time from the early promises of of gene therapy but i I suppose it's a nice problem to have of a a a treatment that may actually correct hemophilia either totally or, or partially um, and that patients move into a, diff- a very different phase of treatment with, with this novel therapy. Wolfgang, thank you so much for your insights on the subject uh, today. We're really pleased uh, that we've been able to explore the, the, the hub and spoke model and p- potential issues around uh, preparing treatment centers for administration of gene therapy. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Dan. It was a great pleasure. Thanks a lot. Earn your CME credit by clicking the link for credit. Check back for more podcasts on gene therapy and hemophilia. Additional education is available on www.genetherapy.ish.org, an educational resource designed by leading experts for the global hemophilia community to help you stay abreast of the evolving science and latest clinical advancements in gene therapy and hemophilia.